This is from Colossians 2, 8 through 15. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you. Um, man, that was fun watching the kids share in that way. This week, I was uh, doing some reading, and I came across a Zond quote. It's going to be on the screen. It says this, uh, as passe as it may sound to cynical ears, if we want faith in Jesus to remain realistically possible in a secular age, one of the most valuable things we can do is bring children to church. We need to raise children in the community that is formed and sustained by the grand narrative of Scripture, a story that culminates in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In an irreligious culture where not much is sacred, we need to introduce children to the sacred place where sacrament is formative and faith is normative. And I read that this week and then was thinking about the creed this morning and the kids. And uh, I think more important than ever is this idea of the sacred responsibility we have as a community to engage with our kids, with our youth, in a way that makes faith normative. I think we are in an increasing culture, as Zahn has talked about, that uh, really is irreligious, is moving away from understanding of faith. And in many ways, even followers of Jesus no longer look through the lens of faith as they define culture, as they live their life. And so for us to be a community that continues to invest in and care deeply about our kids and wanting to make sure that they see faith is normative, but this idea of sacrament, of community, of being together uh, as a place that is transformative as well. Uh, as you know, we are in the book of Colossians, and at the same time, we are going back and forth into the creed. And uh, we're allowing these two things to kind of collide together in a way that our hope is that we'll bring more and more preeminence to Christ, that we'll be able to experience and know more fully who God is and then the transformative work of Christ in our life. And so 
as we've been kind of simultaneously going back and forth between these, um, re-looking at some of the central tenets of our faith that we have, as a community, ascribed to, uh, our section for the creed this morning that ties directly into our passage this morning is this little section. Speaking of Jesus, the creed says, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Third day, he rose again from the dead and ascended to heaven. And we're looking at that, but looking at it through the lens of Colossians. And if you were with us last week, you remember that the phrase we spent most of our time examining was this little phrase, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, or so walk in Christ. And we discussed last week, what does it really look like to walk in Christ? There were three particular phrases that if you remember, we are passive in and Christ is active in. And so being rooted, being established, being built up are all things that Christ is doing in us, through us, for us, that require no responsibility of ourselves. But then there is this fourth piece, that is to be overwhelmed with thanksgiving. And we talked last week that this is an invitation, an invitation to lean into the awareness that life in all its manifestations is a gift, that we are to be a people of divine gratitude that any and every experience we go through should be one in which we can lean on gratitude, express joy, and as we do so, uh, become more in touch with the awe of God. So we're going to continue in this particular section of Scripture, looking specifically at the verses that Jerusha read just a moment ago. But we're, again, looking at this phrase, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And I think the part that has been sitting with me all week long is that the way we received Christ is the way we walk in Christ. I'll say that again, you'll hear it echoed throughout our time, that the way we received Christ is the way we walk in Christ. Now Colossians 2 is deeply theological, but it is also incredibly practical. And in this section, it explains, the section we're looking at, it explains what happened to you and I when we received Christ or we were in Christ. And I think that in looking at this, and the reason it's so important is by looking into this, we can fully live into what it looks like to live out all the benefits of a relationship with Jesus. So that is our goal for this morning, to lean into what it looks like to live out all of the benefits of a relationship with Christ. And again, if you're following along, Colossians 2, 8 to 15 is our section of Scripture. I'm not going to reread the passage, but you'll see little glimpses of it on the screen as we go through each of the little sections. So Paul is highlighting some things that are divinely important for us to grasp. And the first one is that you are filled in Him. The text says, in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Christ. That when you received Christ, when I received Christ, we were filled by Him. That all the fullness of God, and for us to be filled with that is to be 
consciously aware and yielded to an experience where God is consuming our lives in a way where everything we believe and feel and do and act and say is controlled by the Spirit of God, the fullness of God dwelling within us, which implies that you and I were empty, that there was a time in which we lived into, regardless of how small we were or how old we were, we lived into this craving, a desperate craving that is highlighted by an emptiness. And if uh, you're like any of humanity, what you try to do and what I try to do is to figure out some other way other than Christ to fill the emptiness, to fill the void, to kind of like satisfy that hunger, that desire. And so we seek all these alternative fillers. Maybe you can imagine even in this moment a filler or two that you've chased after, that you've pursued. Some of us uh, realize or have started to realize we cannot be fully completed by another person, even if Tom Cruise says you can. You complete me, but not. You cannot be filled by a career. You cannot be filled by religion. You cannot be filled by prestige, ambition, however much desire you have, no matter how much appreciation you get from others, no amount of power or prestige or position or pleasure will fully satisfy because the text is telling us that you and I can only really be filled in Christ. So you might be asking the question, how does that actually change your everyday life? Does it? Does it have any bearing on you? Does it flesh itself out in any particular way in your life. And I would suggest that to be filled by something is to be completely in its grip, right? To have that thing, whatever it is, become the controlling influence of all of our actions or behavior. Maybe the best illustration that I can come up with is that if someone is filled with anger, that means they are completely consumed with, motivated by the decisions that come and flow out of the intentions of their heart are all kind of guided by that anger that they're filled with. I remember when I was uh, younger, I had the tendency at times to spark that emotion in my mother. Uh, And my mom would occasionally I don't know if this has ever happened to you or if you've ever said this to someone or had it said to you or even seen it happen, but my mom would occasionally say, Russ, or in my case, Russell Wade, that's my middle name, uh, I have had it up to here. I don't know if you've ever had someone say that to you, like I've had it up to here with all of your shenanigans. She may have said other things, but that is what is implied in that moment. But here's what my mom never did, and I don't know if I've ever seen anyone do this. She never was like, Russell Wade, I have had it up to here, like the top of my kneecaps, like right about here, and I'm not going to take any more. If it gets up to my waist, it is over for you, right? No, right from the beginning, didn't matter how early in the conversation, my mom was like, I had it up to here. 
okay? All the way to the top. What was she describing? That I am completely filled, likely with rage for you at this very moment, right? That all of me is consumed by it. That is what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God, that every bit of us, our being, our experience, our feelings, our behaviors, emotions, hopes, dreams, you can keep adding to it, your calendar, your checkbook, the decisions you make, all of that consumed with the fullness of God. That is what Paul is getting at in this particular section is he's telling us that you should be and are completely filled with all the fullness of God. The way we received Christ is the way we are to walk in Christ. The second thing that Paul highlights is that you and I were included or brought in through Christ. The text reads this way, In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God. What uh, Paul does is he spends a fair bit of time, not just in this passage, but kind of throughout some of his writings, talking about uh, initiation. That he thinks it's very important to be initiated into something, and he's describing often this initiation into Christ. Now, many people assume it's because of his religious background, right? So one of the actions of the Jewish people back in the time was to have circumcision be a physical representation of the fact that you were initiated into a group. Uh, Different religions have done different expressions. Some of those are medicinally enhanced. Others of them are just like like excited, energetic uh, kind of expressions of initiation. Uh, Baptism is used as another example of initiation. All of these are basically saying that you've been brought in, which implies that you and I... In a similar way, we're outsiders that have been grafted in, that we've been brought in to the family of God. And I don't know, again, if you have ever experienced this, but I think most people in life have at some point this profound awareness that you do not belong, that there's an in-group and you might not be a part of it, that there is this uh, group maybe that you aspire to and you just didn't get the invitation. It might only be me that feels that way, but there are times I would assume most of us feel just a little bit on the outside. I think one of the most obvious ways that I feel that is when I'm driving down the road. Let me give you an example. I'll be driving down the road, and again, maybe you haven't seen this, but I would assume most of you have, Right in front of you is a motorcycle, and he's driving or she's driving one particular direction. And it happens that on the other side of the highway, road, whatever, a motorcycle is coming from the other direction. And all of a sudden, something happens. There's this little, like, exchange, this little nod, this little look, this little tip of the cap. There's this, like, hey, you and I, yeah, we're in this thing. And in that moment, I'm like, I am 
very obviously not included in this. Nobody driving down the road gives me the, you know, little connection. Nobody's going, oh, yep, that's us. You know, we're, we're in this thing. But whoever's, I don't know how they learned it. I don't know if you get your, like, motorcycle permit, badge, or whatever, and they're like, hey, by the way, anytime you go past someone, just do a little nod, a thing, a whatever. But somehow, everybody knows. And I'm painfully aware in that moment that I'm not included in that club. And also because I'm scared of motorcycles, I will never be included in that club. I will forever be an outsider. And maybe you've experienced that same thing, but what Paul is describing here goes a little bit beyond the idea of being in the biker crew. In verses 11 and 12, he's describing circumcision and baptism. And what Paul is really talking about is he's using these metaphors and illustrations to describe what he also talks about in Galatians chapter 2. I think it's in verse 20. He says, um, I have been crucified with Christ. It's this idea that I have been circumcised with him. He's using different language. He says, I no longer live, which is an expression of, of death, right? Of being in the flesh or in the body. And then he says, Christ lives in me, which is the expression of being made alive again, which we'll get to in a moment. And then he says, I live by faith in Christ, which again means to be filled in him. And so what Paul is describing here and in other passages is there's a spiritual circumcision, a change, a baptism, a newness that has come. Uh, Some prophets or religious teachers speak of it through the lens or the language of awareness, that I once didn't have this awareness, but I have it again. Others speak to this idea of being born again. A transformation is taking place. And how does that change our everyday life? Again, that might be a question you're asking. What does that matter? Well, I think it matters because what you recognize is that Paul is saying to both you and to I that you are accepted. You belong. You've been included. You've been brought in. You're no longer an outsider. You are part of the family of God. You are a chosen one. You are a son or daughter of the king. You have been chosen. There's this beautiful expression of saying, I have now, you don't need external validation. I've brought you in. You're mine. You're part of something. You belong. And it is that expression that I think is so powerful. And Paul is again expressing, look, this this happened when you received Christ. And so the way that you received Christ is the way that you walk in Christ. The third one, you were made alive with him. Verses 13 and 14 say, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. This implies that you and I at one point were dead, right? We believe, I believe, that this particular passage what Paul is doing is using more metaphors, more explanation to really speak to the two previous ideas. That you felt empty, you were filled. That you didn't belong, now you belong. And then he moves to this next metaphor Again, explaining that this exchange happened, that there was a feeling of death or an experience of death, but now a newness 
of life. And so again, you might ask the question, well, how does that change your and my everyday life? And I think the next verse speaks to that. It says that you were made a conqueror. Verse 15, text says, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The text tells us that we have become, by way of Christ, conquerors. That we have nothing to fear because the victory over sin and death has already been accomplished, which again implies that you and I at some point were defenseless, hopeless, unable to stand on our own, and that Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them in their place. I have heard it described as this, the cross being this collision of human depravity or evil and violence and God's forgiveness and eternally divine love. This collision takes place. And the death and the resurrection of Jesus strips away all of your guilt and shame, all of my guilt and shame. And He disarms all the rulers and all the authorities and it is finished. Jesus willfully chose to give his life to show us what that love, that unending, never-ending, abundant, overwhelming grace might look like. Zahn goes on to say it this way. He says, what God willed was that Jesus be faithful to truth and love so that through Jesus' violent and sinful death, we would be liberated from violence, sin, and death. The sacrifice of Jesus is the ultimate gift of love offered to a world distorted by hate where death is wielded as the supreme weapon. The sacrifice of Jesus is not a utilitarian payment to an offended deity bound to an economy of appeasement. The ugliness of the cross is found in human sin. The beauty of the cross is found in divine forgiveness. So the question, again, that we've been asking is, how does this change your life? How does it change your everyday existence? And as Paul says in another passage, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The impact is of that love is a freedom that you and I don't have to fear that we've been completely forgiven. And the freedom of that forgiveness is overwhelming. I know that there are times, especially as I was younger, that I walked around kind of in this fear of being found out. I don't know if you've been in that place where you're afraid that someone might find out that you're a sinner, that you've done things that maybe you didn't want to do or aren't proud of, and you're like, I should probably keep that a secret because nobody else is in that same place as me. And that feeling of loneliness and separateness and kind of internal death, is all the things that I think Paul is getting at here. But what the text is telling us is that we've been forgiven, we've been loved, that everything has been destroyed, the evil forces have been overcome, that there's no payment that, no long, that needs to be made. 
really what it's saying is that you've been kind of outed to the highest authority in the land, and in that moment, you were still forgiven. You were loved. That it was covered. Uh, Yesterday, I was uh, moving some stuff from point A to point B and uh, got frustrated. Frustrated with Shannon. Blamed everything on her. It's like, this wouldn't go this way if it wasn't for your planning. I planned it perfectly. You didn't follow the plan. That kind of thing, you know? Um, Anyhow, I'm forgiven. I don't have to, like, pretend that that didn't happen or there wasn't that moment this week. There'll probably be one of those moments next week. But I made it right. We talked it out. I made it right with her, but it's already been made right with me and with the divine. There's this fear that often circulates still within the church, that you've got to keep it hidden, that nobody should know. I think this passage is saying, whatever it is, whatever is the worst that you have to offer has already been met, and you're loved. You've been forgiven. You're welcome. You're included. You belong. All the things that we talked about, right? So what happened to us? The way that we received Christ is the way we walk in Christ. We were, as the text said, filled with Him, circumcised with Him, buried with Him. We were raised with Him. We've been made alive together with Him. We've been forgiven in Him. We're conquerors through Him. All of this is yours in Christ Jesus. I'll end with this. Albert Einstein is quoted as saying this, there are only two ways to live your life. One is though nothing is a miracle, the other is though everything is a miracle. The way you received Christ is the way you walk in Christ. Let's pray. God, may we recognize that all of life is a miracle. The fact that we participate in all that we described this morning is a divine gift. It is a full awareness of the gift, the love that you have for us. That Jesus would willingly die in such a way to overcome sin and death, to triumph over all dominion of darkness and power and evil and guilt and shame and anything that kind of holds us captive in some particular way that it's over. And that we can walk around in this newness of life that the faith we have is a faith of endless new beginnings. And God, may we lean into that every single day this week. May we start afresh. May we be reminded that it is your faithfulness that is renewed every morning. That it is your mercy that sustains us. And God, may we leave here with an abundant gratitude that we described last week. May the way that we received you, may that be the way that we walk in you. And God, we invite your spirit into our lives this week to continue to walk in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.